So social drama is about an injustice in society that needs fixing in some way. Um, but the atypical isn't about that. Atypical, as you heard from the story, is about a guy who is trying... Basically, you could take out the autism and play the story the same way, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. The autism is a layer of conflict, Yeah. right? That expresses... Um, why it's hard for some people to have relationships. That's how I was trying to articulate it off mic. What? It's a layer of conflict. I, yeah. I was saying it's not just simply a bit of characterization that makes him a bit quirky. There, no. The story is... is uh, it's internal conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today we're going to talk about Atypical. We are, uh, and as always you can get in touch on uh, Twitter, at The Story Toolkit, and uh, we have the website thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com, all the episodes and a direct email to us if you want us to talk about anything in particular, or just say hi. Whatever. How are you? 20 seconds. Yeah. That, bam, fifth takes the charm. Now, let's talk about this show. Uh, this show is about uh, an autistic child. Uh, he's like a teenager, right? How old is he? Yeah, he's 18. 18? Uh, yeah, I'm sure they reference his age in the show. I'm sure I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway. Well, he has a dance. We could have worked it out. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Sam is the atypical kid. He's got autism. And it's the show is basically... He decides that he has to have a girlfriend. I forget why now. Why it's did... the opening scene conversation with It is the opening therapist. scene, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. the opening scene. So what happened was Luke saw this show and then he saw it again with his wife, Hannah. Mm-hmm. Then he told me to see it. And in a bizarre act that is not characteristic of me, I watched it. <laughs> I actually did see it. And it was fun. It's very sweet. And um, it's on Netflix, right? It's a very sweet show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, eight, eight, eight episodes, and I think they were about thirty minutes each. Yeah, they? yeah. The first one was like forty or something, but yeah. they're all thirty minutes and like So it's a nice little sitcom, and it's cute. Sitcom? It is a sitcom. It's a thirty-minute comedy. What else do you call it? <laughs> uh, okay, it's a it's a it's a sit dramedy. Whatever. Look, <laughs> let's just get in with it. All right. I was trying to find a way to describe it without using the word dramedy. It is a dramedy. It is. It's a comedy, it's drama, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very light, it's sweet. Um, and it's nice. Uh, and it's about this kid, Sam, uh, trying to deal with having, with with getting and having and retaining a girlfriend in spite of his autism. Yeah. Which is a problem because by being autistic, he has enormous difficulties functioning in certain ways, particularly with emotions. Hmm. And so uh, you phrased this very nicely. How did you phrase it? You said... About the, the story. Mm, yeah. Um, it's the, the, the story is in, is in literally direct conflict with, with his autism. So he is driven to put himself in a situation that um, requires understand intense understanding of emotion. Yeah. And that is the thing that he can't do because he's autistic. Yeah. yeah, it's a great bit of inner conflict, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and personal conflict, I guess it's, it yeah. works on it works on two different two levels. A very nice uh, concept, and um, also we should point out that you have experience with this. I do, yeah. So I've, I worked with 
so I was a teacher for over a decade um, until quite recently and for about God, eight or nine of those years um, the last eight or nine I was working very closely with autistic children mm. so that's why I started watching the show mm. I thought okay let's see let's see what happens mm. um, and I, I think I watched it in two sittings um, mostly one sitting I did binge it yeah so I, I, I really really enjoyed it it's like how they um, how they dealt with the subject matter yeah it's nice hmm. it was nice um and it, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, like, because this is the thing, you know much more about this than I do, because I don't think I've, I don't think I know really any autistic people or I've met many in my entire life. Probably more than you'd realise. I'm probably autistic, but I don't know. <laughs> it's like a Shyamalan twist. What a twist. No, everyone's autistic. Really? No, but I, I, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't think I, I really know anyone. Like I've, do you know what I mean? Not in a not in a persistent way that you would have. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So it's more for me. It's, the point being, autism for me is more of an intellectual curiosity rather than a living reality. Okay. And when this is an interesting point, just in life, by the way, if you have something that is for you, it's an intellectual curiosity, and for other people, it's a living reality. You can say things so dispassionately that it sounds like an insult to people. Right. Without even realizing it. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, this is something that happens, like, for example, if you don't, like, someone who has to live with, say, being uh, scared, like, you know, in America, if you're black and you're scared of the cops all the time. Yeah. yeah. Someone who's <laughs> never really encountered that in their life doesn't understand it. Similarly, like, me getting stopped at the airport or someone being gay or trans or whatever. Like, there are certain aspects of life that you know about and you have, like, an intellectual curiosity of and you have an opinion of, but because they're not living realities, you don't understand them in a certain way, which means when you say stuff about them, you make a joke about them, whatever, you don't realise how uh, it can come off incredibly offensive um, because you're just like, oh, I didn't realise that was even an issue. Mm. And it's one of those things that people also have to kind of understand on the other side which is for people who have no living experience of this kind of stuff it's kind of unfair to hold them to that standard okay That's all. just an interesting thing because i'm i i i'm just it's one of those things like it happens in the show there's a there's a couple of moments where that happens um where characters have yeah where characters do and say things um and they don't realize what they've said you can tell there's a certain thing where like people who know Sam and live in Sam's world are already they already know how to because it's a real thing they know how to deal with it people outside of that element don't necessarily get it and the thing that and they have to kind of explain it to them mm. how this works and what's interesting is some people when they get it's explained to them they go oh I see and they everything's fine and other people they explain it to them and they go well whatever and that's how you can tell the difference between people like there's a scene where um, they're talking about having a silent disco yeah, yeah for the party and one of the mothers says like look it's it's unfortunate that like sam can't really go to a party because of all the noise but you know our kids have been looking forward to it and our kids have their hair done and all this and everyone's been preparing for this you can't just suddenly change it to meet one kid mm. and then the mother points out like it's not that he's going to miss a dance. It's that he misses every dance. And that he wouldn't have even conceived of being able to go to the dance 
etc etc it's a completely different thing and then you realize and so the vast majority of people in the room agree with the mother because that's the sensible thing it's like it doesn't really hurt anyone to have a silent disco and it allows him to actually be a part of it whereas otherwise he it's he can't be a part of it or any other party Mm. right whereas the person who brought it up in the first place just decides no we should it should be about uh, the, the normal kids as it were and so isn't, isn't that show sorry isn't that scene as close to social commentary as it gets that's as close as it really gets to the show yeah. but that's that's kind of just an it's an interesting thing because like yeah. for me atypical I'm watching I'm like oh this is interesting I didn't know about this it's almost educational in a way mm. but for you it'd be very different right right so yeah. I would think like your view of it in a way is more in terms of in terms of how it treats autism if that makes sense because i w- yes. i wouldn't know yeah well it was fun. on the, on the second viewing um and by the way i wouldn't normally watch things a second time like that but no. um we'd uh, my wife and i had just started watching um a show on bbc called the a word and after about 5 or so after about 15 minutes it's um uh, i I'd, I'd already seen atypical um and it's a very very different use of autism as um uh, uh, in a story and Hannah wasn't really enjoying it so I said well let me show you this other show mm. and, and if you enjoy it we can carry on watching and mm. then you know again I, for her over the course of two viewings or something she she binged through it and I, yeah. I joined it for the second viewing and enjoyed it as much as the first but it was on the second viewing at the end that I, I laughed out loud at the um, the silent disco because it was something the the, I can't remember what he's called. There's another autistic character. Thomas, right? Uh, is it Thomas? I think it's Thomas. Um, uh, he says something, uh, like somebody asks him if he's enjoying the dance, and he says, well, let me put it this way. I brought my comic books. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I laughed out loud and said, I have worked with <laughs> with people like that before. Right. It's yeah. so, <laughs> it, was, it was such a... a, a, a a cute moment in the show and I thought it's accurate <laughs> of, I mean yeah I know what you mean yeah it's a very very varied spectrum but uh, of course but I've certainly worked with um, one or two um, children that were like that yeah so the A word though what was the problem with the A word problem with the A word for me and I realise it now talking it through with you before we start yeah because I haven't it. seen the A word at all by the way uh, it seems very very much more like social drama as opposed to to family drama or or um or like um uh as as we'll discuss with Sam a maturation plot. Mm. So it was more about um because because the 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 family's child in the A word is severely autistic. He's not high functioning like Sam, so he um mm. he doesn't communicate. Yeah. He sits under tables because he yeah, because he um um I forget why he did, but like he he can't communicate right. through words or, and doesn't understand yeah. you know, emotions at all. Whereas Sam, it you know can function in society, sure. but there are quirks and things as he explained. Right. Um, and I don't know. I just didn't necessarily want to watch a social drama. It's yeah. not that it was bad. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> Oh, right. uh, in, okay. in, in that moment it, so it wasn't that it was badly portraying or executing these themes it was just no. it was not something that you wanted to particularly see no the only thing we picked up on um, uh, well no really nothing at all it just it, it didn't grab us and I we, yeah. uh, I, I don't 
at that stage, I didn't want to see a story about um, uh, autism and mm. how society's getting that wrong. We can get plenty enough of that in the news, and I, right. and I lived yes. with that. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. I worked with that kind sure. of stuff. Right. For it's kind of like a busman's holiday, right? Right. Yeah. What I wanted to see was... Sorry, for those of you who might not know that phrase, busman's holiday, it means the idea that uh, for a holiday, a person who drives a bus a lot gets on a bus and goes somewhere, right? Like the idea is like your holiday is your work. Yeah. Yeah. So your time off work with like autistic <laughs> kids is to watch a really gritty social drama about how the education system is failing. So <laughs> autistic kids are like, this is not... No. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, what I wanted was a show where I really empathised with the, yeah. the child with autism, and yeah. you know, no, no, you, might, you might, story. you might uh, walk past the a-, a word a second time and enjoy it. Yeah, so when, the, when like the palette's clean, as it were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things. Like actually, that's an in- interesting thing. I always think for people who who you know f- for writing is trying to recognise that aspect when you're not in the mood for something is not the story's fault necessarily. Yeah. That kind of stuff, because a lot of people go, well, sometimes you'll talk to somebody and you realize none of the problems that they have with the show or or, or in in the story are in the story. They're in themselves. And you as a writer, if you're giving something out for people to read and you're getting notes back, you need to be able to tell those kind of notes Mm. because if you don't, otherwise you can end up with really bad advice because sometimes some people just aren't interested in the thing. Like this as a subject matter does not interest me. It's like, well, then you're never going to probably get that huge emotional resonance you want from them. Mm. doesn't mean you won't learn anything. It just means that you have to temper, you have to be able to work out the quality of notes and things. So if anything, that's helpful by being able to analyze works. You're able, you're able to analyze notes that you get and your own reactions to things so you learn the right lessons as opposed to the wrong ones mm. but um okay let's let's try and whiz through a quick synopsis so we can get into the the genre stuff we want to talk why about. don't you do the synopsis since you've seen it twice oh because i'm dreadful at synopses and you know this i don't think you're dreadful at them otherwise i wouldn't pimp you as it were this way Jeez, okay but uh, if you don't want to i'll do it <laughs> I'm already struggling. What? Okay, fine. What's, oh, so, geez. What's so his name? Sam. Ah, oh. oh, he's got a condition. He's no. <laughs> sweating quite a lot. <laughs> it's just, it's just crumbling. Okay. Okay. So basically, what happens is Sam uh, has a psychiatrist. Is it a psychiatrist or a counselor? What's the? Oh, fine, I'll do it. Sam is. <laughs> no, I, I don't um, know what the correct term is. Uh, no, I get confused by those as well. Anyway, so... Uh, psychiatrist. Okay, so Sam has someone he is talking to. <laughs> this woman, Julia. Uh, she's a professional. And he's telling her stuff, and he decides that he needs to have a girlfriend. And so he decides um, to try and work out how to get a girlfriend. And, and so he does the whole thing of making rules to work out if he wants a girlfriend and so on. He asks women out. It goes horribly wrong. He tries smiling. It goes wrong. Because the whole thing, as you mentioned, was he has to be able to read emotional cues from subtext and body language. And he doesn't know how to do that. Plus, he doesn't really have a filter. So he'll just say things. 
And as a result, um, he can offend people or scare people away or whatever. Uh, and then there's the whole issue of, the well, the fact is that he is autistic. And so any woman that wants to be with him has to recognize that and has to be able to deal with that. So there's a whole bunch of issues that need to be dealt with. And it gets to a point where he, there's this woman uh, at the store that he works in, because he works part-time at a uh, tech store, and she's smiling at him. And so he learns how to smile back. He actually has to learn how to smile back to her appropriately. And then he goes up to her and he offers her help. And then he very quickly just, he cuts through the subtext because that's how he is. And goes, look, I only came up to talk to you because uh, I thought maybe we could be boyfriend and girlfriend. Do you want to do that? And she's like, yeah, fine. So they go out on a date. Um, he mentions that he's never had sex. So she takes him back to her place. Uh, and as they're getting close, that's when because he has a problem with contact, kicks in and he pushes her off the bed and she goes, what's wrong with you? And all that go stuff, like you have a brain problem and all that stuff. And he's like, he can't really answer. He's embarrassed. He's scared. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how else to phrase it. The autism is kicking in. I don't know what... what <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? I don't know what, how to phrase it, but... It's, it's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So, like, it, so he can't deal with it and so he leaves uh, and he's very embarrassed about it and, heart, and crestfallen about it. He doesn't know what to do about it. So, and then he realizes that he's kind of in love. He has a huge crush on his psychiatrist, Julia. And so he comes up with this idea that what he needs is practice girlfriends. So that when he finally has practiced being a boyfriend enough, he can be with Julia. So he ends up going out with this girl called Paige. And Paige is the most ridiculously perfect girlfriend he could ask for. I mean, as annoying and as bossy as she is, she loves him so much and um, she understands him and she gets him and she's totally supportive of him. There's a bit where she's in his room and she's messing around with all his things and it cuts to his dad comes and goes, where's Paige? And he's locked her in his closet and he goes, you can't do that. You can't open the thing and Paige and they say, oh, it's fine. Don't worry. I understand. Like it can be overwhelming for them. So, you know, I just, he needed to recharge. So I, I, it was okay. By the way, I organized all your stuff in the closet <laughs> and she leaves. And you're like, she's the best woman in the world. <laughs> like she's so supportive and so understanding. And um, he then comes up with a list of how to know if you're in love with someone. Cause she says she loves him. So he wants to know, do I, do I love her or whatever? And she says, well, you've got till Thursday to work it out. Right. <laughs> She gives him a deadline. So he comes up with a list and he she par- check pasts, passes all the lists. However, he runs into Julia. Julia comes to his store to buy something and he helps her with the thing back. And Julia is talking... Uh, he talk, tells her about the dance and stuff. And so Julia teaches him how to dance. And that's when he goes, you just know if you love someone. And he realizes he loves Julia. Um, Julia, by the way, has discovered she's pregnant with the baby of a guy, Miles, who she's been living with for five years, who has run off because she got a bit... She didn't get a bit crazy, to be fair. What actually happened was uh, Sam, before he met Paige, decided Julia was the woman that he was going to... His mate, because he likes likes penguins. And so he talks about how penguins mate and how animals mate. And so he decided, like, she's his mate, right? And... um, he goes to her place. He breaks into her place. It's very innocent, by the way. He not he's about to knock on the door, and he remembers that she said Miles has uh, work shifts, and so she doesn't like people knocking on the door because he might be asleep. So he decides to 
ease open the window, which he does very quietly. So he's actually being really considerate. It sounds creepy, but he's actually being insanely considerate. And he goes in and he has all these chocolate-covered strawberries, which he's decided will be a lovely gift for her because Zahid said that... Um, his friend Zahid said that that's what you use to get the sexy times or whatever he says because Zahid is a horrible, horrible misogynist. Um, <laughs> he is, right? He just is. Um, it drives me crazy. Um, but anyway, so like he... I think it's supposed to. I know, but he no one catches him up on it. No one catches up with it. And I also get annoyed because the women do go out with him. I'm like, why don't you have any self-respect? It's your fault too. I've had enough. Right? I, think, I think this part of the excellent cast design. Which yeah. again we can swing back around yeah. to. But... So, so anyway, so he's brought these chocolate strawberries. The dad who has taken him there thinks he's taken him to like a teenager's house, and he's like, "Why are you breaking in and all that stuff?" I was like, it's, "It's my, you know, counselor." Like, no, no, no. What you? And he, the dad, by the way, dad played by Michael Rappaport, and is an utter delight in this show. Oh, he's brilliant. My, he takes them out, and unfortunately, he drops one chocolate strawberry in the apartment. So when Julia fi- comes home and she finds the chocolate strawberry, it becomes this huge thing. She thinks Miles bought the chocolate strawberries because he's cheating on her. So this becomes a huge issue and Miles leaves her and uh, she then finds out she's pregnant. And so there she is. She's pregnant. Anyway, she's dancing with Sam and Sam decides, OK, it's her that I love. So Sam now goes uh, to Paige and Paige is this is Thursday and what was special about Thursday is she's taken him to meet her parents at a restaurant and at the restaurant he just stands up and says I love Julia sorry Paige I'm no longer your boyfriend and leaves after telling them what food is good at the restaurant and he leaves and of course this breaks Paige's heart and um, he then tells Julia how he feels and Julia says are you insane I'd lose my license there's no way that I love you etc and this causes him to have um, a break uh, they call them ep- episodes. An episode? Show, yeah. He has, he has an episode where he's on the bus basically repeating words, banging his head and stuff, mm. and just in a fetal position. So he ends up at home, and while he's at home, uh, Paige, <laughs> Paige comes to his house and on the lawn dumps all his stuff, says how much she hates him, says how the penguin necklace that she bought him she lost, and she had kept this from him because... She didn't want to hurt his feelings, but now she wants to hurt his feelings. So she tells him that she lost the penguin necklace that she loves that he got her. And then he also, she also bought him a giant penguin, giant, giant stuffed penguin. Because I thought you'd love it. Well, she pulls out a knife and slits its throat. And the father's like, oh, no, don't do that. Just it's just this wonderful scene, and then like basically, and Sam's like, well, "What's going on?" He, like he doesn't. Un- she leaves, and Sam's like, "I'm not." He's not really understanding what's happened, and, the, and he's like, "You broke her heart." And then there's this wonderful moment because the show uses voiceover to explain what's going on in Sam's head because the whole point is Sam's head is not like everyone else's. So in order to explain to you how Sam's thinking works so that you empathise with him, they have to have the character basically tell you why... I try to imagine the show without voiceover. It, it would be very difficult. Yeah. yeah. Very difficult, because you wouldn't empathise with him, because no. you wouldn't get why he's doing the things he's doing. Mm. And they use the fact that Julia is a character with her own storyline, so, so the exposition is invisible. Yeah. Otherwise, it could be really obtrusive. So, he, But he explains that... He does have empathy, he just can't read people's emotions. So once he knows he's hurt someone, he feels really bad. But he doesn't necessarily know he's hurt someone. You have to kind of tell him. Mm. 
So once he finds out that he broke her heart, he feels really bad about it because while he may not love her, he didn't want to hurt her. That was he had no desire to hurt her. He's not that he doesn't care about her. He just doesn't he thought he loved Julia. So he does this sweet thing where he retraces her steps, finds the penguin necklace, and goes up to her and says, Look, I found the necklace and everything. I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you and all that stuff. Uh, and he and he then he's very honest and says, like, I don't know if I love you or not. And Paige goes, well, thank you for being honest. And he goes, but you didn't appreciate my honesty at the restaurant. She goes, that was because it was in front of my entire family. And he goes, that's the difference. <laughs> and so they kind of make up and they, they're they not boyfriend and girlfriend, but she basically says to him, when you work out what you want, if you want me, I'll be there. Right. And it's very nice. That's and that's the that's the the, the main thrust of the show. However, there's other stuff going on. There is the stuff going on between the parents. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Michael Rappaport play the parents. They are wonderful. Um, they have a wonderful backstory mm. uh, with what Michael Rappaport's character did. And they they reveal it brilliantly. Because if they revealed that early on, you would never forgive. <clears throat> so what happened was, in the backstory, when Sam got diagnosed with autism, the father ran away. Mm. And he left his wife with a toddler and an autistic son, because the the daughter, the sister, is younger by a couple of years. Yeah. And he left them for like a year, right? Now, that was 15 years ago, something like that. Mm. It's a long time ago. And Jennifer Jason Lee has basically, has spent her entire life looking after her family and her, and her autistic son. And for a, a year, the formative year, she had to do that on her own. And she never, and she's always kept the son distant from the father because she never knows if the father will run away again, right? And all this stuff. So the, she's been holding it over him for a long time, and she starts noticing what changes is because Sam starts getting interested in girls. Sam starts confiding in his father more than his mother, and he needs his father more than he needs his mother, and so she feels at a loss, and so she starts having an affair with a bartender. And as guilty as she feels about it, she keeps doing it. Right, and um, what's brilliant about this is by they hold back why uh, they, they they mention a couple of times a couple of things like the dad did something wrong, but they never tell you what. And they it's what's brilliant is they hold it back until like episode four or something where mm-hmm. they finally they just tell you, and they have Michael Rappaport say it, and he plays it very much as like this was a stupid thing I did. He doesn't get emotional about it. Really, he's just very apologetic. It's like I did a stupid thing. I know it was stupid. It's something I regret, etc., etc., etc. But it's not. It's not like a. It's actually. Um, it's revealed by Sam, but done so innocently, because uh, the yeah. daughter's trying to get to the bottom of something. Yeah, there's like a photo that he's missing. He's a missed a photo, photo, and there's no way the mother would let him miss um, one of her. Like it's it's one of the school highlights you know like a like a graduation it's, day type thing it's the yeah it's like an autism uh, fundraiser i think something like that and there's no way he would have missed <sighs> being allowed to miss it yeah so the daughter's like trying to get to the bottom of this why wasn't yeah. he there and, and the, mo- and the mo- well the mother says gives a lie gives an excuse so he had work mm. and her boyfriend later goes like uh, no her, not her mother sorry her dad the dad says oh i had boyfriend. a work yeah. thing or whatever and the and the boyfriend just says yeah he's lying I know he's just he's t- telling the sh- telling uh, a lie, and then as you say, Sam, yeah, 
but he just delivers it so matter-of-factly because she needs the answer to a question. Yeah, so it's like, here, yeah, here she, the he, that's the year her, he left. Her world is blown open. Yeah, that's the year like, he the, left. The person she trusts most yeah. in the world. And it, and, the, and the thing is, uh, and so when he explains it to her, you've got the sense that he made this big mistake, but they've moved past it. She was very young at the time, so she didn't even notice. She wasn't really hurt by it. Sam isn't hurt by it. The mother is clearly resentful of it, but she seems to have forgiven him. So, and the reason that's great is because if they opened with that, you two problems would happen. You wouldn't empathise with the father and you wouldn't empathise with the mother because you go, how could she take him back? Right. I'd never take him back. How dare she, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what you'd think. So by, by having it, by having this thing set up where you see how much these parents love their kids and they love each other and then revealing in the backstory that he did a stupid thing and that he has no excuse for it he doesn't try and he doesn't uh, wiggle out of it he doesn't go oh, I made a mistake mm. he goes here's why I did it everything was wrong mm. right he doesn't try and wiggle out of it he owns that mistake so you keep empathy and when she starts cheating on him you go yeah that's 15 years of, of resentment yeah. popping now and so it makes perfect sense why she's starting to cheat on him. And the season ends with a cliffhanger of he seems to have worked out that she was cheating mm. on him just now. So where that goes, we don't know. And then there's the daughter. And the daughter has this opportunity. She gets a scholarship because she's very fast. She's very good at running. And so she gets an opportunity to go to a very good, very expensive school, but it's a bit far away. It's like three towns away. Mm. And so there's the whole thing of like, you mentioned this off mic. She has a wonderful dimension which is on the one hand she looks after her brother and on the other hand she bullies him. Yeah. And uh, she is genuinely torn over whether or not she should take the scholarship, which is brilliant for her, but she's worried that if she leaves, no one's going to look after her brother. And this gets compounded when she finds out that her mother was has been having an affair because she's worried if she, if she tells the mother and tells the father, the family will break up and therefore if the family breaks up, how will Sam deal with it? And if the family breaks up and Sam can't deal with it, she can't go to Clayton Prep. And so she decides, well, I'm not going to sort, I'm not going to deal with this issue. I want to go to Clayton Prep and so on. So that she's caught between doing, basically taking something that's really, really good. Like she can, this is her step to having a really fulfilling, wonderful life ahead of her. Uh, and there's the problem of her family might drag her down almost. Mm. And so there's this thing in her family. And you know her family doesn't want her to. Her family wants her to go to Clayton Prep. It's very nicely balanced. Because if the family was very dragging down, again, you wouldn't have much empathy with the family. She has really the crisis decision in the um, series, doesn't she? She has a big decision to make, yeah. yeah. But that's in her story. Everyone has them. But well, it, it, like, it impacts it, for, the rest of the family. It does. It, it, that's true. It impacts the whole family, yeah. That's true. Whether she holds on to that secret or not. Yeah. For her benefit or tells the truth. Exactly, yeah. Um, okay, well, let's talk about genre then. Okay. Um, I, we mentioned it earlier briefly. Uh, yeah. It's not social drama. No. Um, but there are a couple of scenes in it that address the wider issue. Yeah, but it's not social but drama. But it's not social drama. So social drama is you've there's there's an injustice in society that needs to be corrected. And it's not like an injustice as in like a, a guy has committed a crime and will he get away with it. It's more like there's a systemic problem in our society that is not right. It shouldn't be this way, mm. right? Uh, and so, for example, a social drama about um, autism might be much more about it's not right the way we treat them. Yeah. Right? That they can't get the help that they need or that we can't help them. 
or whatever. There's right? a huge um, uh, in the UK at the moment on the BBC. There's uh, there's a huge push on the news every morning. They're, mm. they're doing like a special educational needs awareness week. Um, and one of the things they're focusing on, other than chronic underfunding, um, which, which has been rife for the last <laughs> how many years have the Conservatives been in? <laughs> Seven years. Um, <laughs> I, I do you think they were? I, I, they're underfunded before Conservatives as well, because we did have the Blairites. <laughs> it's it's actually well, disheartening yeah. to it's when I think about like, like when you go back and you realize David Cameron was the best choice. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's actually terrifying, but it's true. Um, I mean, hey, Will, Will normally on this podcast, Will's right. David Cameron was the best choice at that time. <laughs> of all the options we had, he was the best. Yeah, it's absolutely terrifying, and this is how terrible it's gone. And um, this is the shit storm we live in. It's just terrible. I realise, like, the only oh, anyway, anyway, um, or let's <laughs> just I mean, for you, Adam, you could that's, easily build a social for, drama. That's just, out for, of that. that's just for Adam Maxwell because right. he tweeted about how much he was laughing when I accidentally started yelling about <laughs> the Tories. And there you go. Um, or uh, um, the other thing they're focusing on is um, uh, that there is no plan, no provision for uh, people with uh, special education needs right. past the age of twenty-five. Right. As soon as they reached twenty-five, if they were in, if they were um, had needs profound enough, they would be in special uh, education institutes like special colleges, etc. Right. When they hit twenty-five, that ends. So, oh, if, if you were going to uh, do a show, you could easily attack the problems there. Right. But this show doesn't do that. No. Atypical doesn't. Oh no, atypical doesn't. No. no. But it, the thing being, the point being, a social drama about autism is essentially. Um, the way we treat and help and try to f- deal with this is unjust because yeah. they're not getting the help they need. However, in certain parts of America, the social drama would be it's unjust that people have autism. Right? Explain. Vaccines. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Right, that that thing. So you'd have this rather, I think, quite toxic thing, which is the injustice is people ha- have sicknesses. Right. Which is a very sort of, it's the very sort of mentality you can have in a society which doesn't have universal healthcare, yeah. which is people who are sick are the problem, and not the way we deal with them. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is another reason probably why the anti-vaxxer movement exists there, because you know the guy who started it, the anti-vaxxer guy, is a British scientist who published a British paper, and in Britain he got laughed out of the country and blacklisted because it took no traction here because his I have a friend who's a geneticist in Oxford he's read the he's read the data if you bring up this guy he will lose his mind because he works on autoimmune diseases he works on diabetes and things yeah. like that and he's like it is it is just terrible he, like this the sampling it's like a fraudulent terrible scientific document that has no basis in fact that's like I, that's not me that's a friend of mine who I've known since I was 5 Right, who's like an actual proper scientist who's read it and has like that. So in England, got no traction, but in America, we have incredibly corrupt pharmaceutical companies, and you have no universal healthcare. His brand of rhetoric sort of took effect, and so you could have a story where the problem is people being autistic. I think we probably just lost all our pharmaceutical company listeners. It's okay. It's okay, Um, but it's fine. Um, (laughs) I don't mind. 
So that's, uh, so, that's but, social but, drama. But you see, but there's, do you see what I mean? Like yeah, how yeah, yeah. you could take that thing and you could play it either way. So social drama is about an injustice in society that needs fixing in some way. Um, but the atypical isn't about that. Atypical, as you heard from the story, is about a guy who is trying... Basically, you could take out the autism and play the story the same way, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. The autism is a layer of conflict. Yeah. Right? That expresses um, why it's hard for some people to have relationships. That's how I was trying to articulate it off mic. What? It's a layer of conflict. I, yeah. I was saying it's not just simply a bit of characterization that makes him a bit quirky. There, no. The story is... is uh, it's internal conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the character, you see, I've always thought this was interesting when people talk about. I remember reading a. Uh, I can't remember now what, but the idea of it was. I love this metaphor. You've got a television, and the picture's messed up. So one of two things is happening: the TV's messed up, or the signal is messed up. Right. So when you have someone who has something like autism, is the problem their mind or the brain? You see what I mean? So when you hear Sam talking, Sam's fine. Mm. But there's something that's not... It's like the television's broken, not the signal. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it becomes this level of internal conflict because there's something wrong with him being able to express himself and read people's emotions. But it's not because he inherently doesn't have capacities for compassion or empathy or love. It's not that he can't... It's not that he himself is lacking those capacities is that he can't engage in them because of something inherent inside him. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's a la- it's this wonderful layer of conflict inside this character that he has to wrestle with and deal with. And it's done in a very sort of tender way with this character. And it's it's I mean, it's just lovely to watch him because it's a maturation story. He's 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 got to grow up. Mm. Right? Everyone has to grow up at some point. He has to grow up. But he has a particularly tough time growing up because he can't. He hasn't got the tools necessary to grow up. Mm. So he has to learn things in a way that most people wouldn't have to. Most people can just pick up on. He has to learn, and so it's very, it's very, very nicely done. I think, and so do you, obviously. And that's that's kind of one thing that he's doing. But then there's domestic drama around it, which is how uh, a person who has these special needs affects the entire family around them uh, because it, he, him having that problem as it were has created this huge dynamic in his family that his family have to compensate around and they all have to deal with so it's a wonderful bit of conflict for everyone in the story um, but it's but the, the thing about it is they never it's never a sort of it's ne- it's never Sam's fault that he's autistic he's never the butt of a joke no. Or anything like that. However, they don't absolve him of responsibility. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sam does something wrong. He did something wrong. Mm. But at the same time, it's... Do you know, there's a there's a very nice sort of even-handedness to it. Because what's interesting about it is, in order for this character to grow up and learn, he has to accept responsibility for mistakes he makes, and he has to fix them. Mm. But if you mollycoddle him and say nothing he does is his fault and you use the autism as an excuse. He can never learn any responsibility. And you get the sense that it might be happening to Thomas. Oh, right. The, yeah, yeah. Right? You get the sense that Thomas might not be as fortunate as Sam because he's not growing up. Yeah. Right? 
he's kind of stuck in this immaturity level. You know, immaturity and maturity hasn't got anything to do with neurotypicalness. Yeah. It's not the neurotypical that's the immaturity part. There's other things going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that guy Thomas, you get the sense like he's got that that I mean we don't know enough about that character but there's a problem. You also get the sense that Zahid is not mature. No. <laughs> right? At all. He's a very immature character. Right? But people let him walk. And so I mean if the show wanted to go into social drama it could, but it doesn't seem to be focused on this. It's focused more on this domestic drama that's very sort of yeah. very nicely done. Um, and what's the difference just quickly between family drama and domestic drama are they just different oh names? it's just different the names for the same thing I, I would use the same term for them I mean a domestic drama is essentially about uh, you could tell it about it not being uh, about a domestic drama and family drama I mean even those terms I, I, I've always said like the thing with genre that people don't get is a genre is not the superficial subject matter never yeah. is so a crime story is not a crime story because you've got a cop in it. And a cop doesn't mean you have a crime story, okay? Because, for example, in, in an atypical, the dad is a paramedic. Mm. It's not a medical drama, mm. right? You see him in, in ambulances. He helps people with problems. It's not, there's not, it's not a medical drama. Sam is autistic. It's not a social drama, right? Um, so the problem with the domestic drama thing is like, well, if you, if you look at The Sopranos, that is a domestic drama, but it's about a crime family, right? And the idea of the idea of a domestic drama, a family drama, really, is what they're about is they're about people trying to stay together as opposed to being driven apart. Mm. And so families obviously make the most amount of sense because you're forced together by biology, right? And happenstance, as it were. So it's about people sticking together in that sense. But it doesn't have to necessarily be about a family um, in that way. Uh, right. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it could be about a crime family. It could be about a crime family. It could be. It could be just about a group. Mm. Like you could do it about a band. I, I was going to say one of the yeah. one of the two. Um, uh, when you look at uh, stories about musicians, I'm yeah. doing a load of research onto this, and there are two types of stories. And w- one is the success story. It's the performance yeah. story. The other one is the family. Right drama yeah so uh, i mean this is actually great so like a band story people go it's got to be about band stories they look at this as spinal tap right but just because you have a band doesn't mean you have to do a story about those certain things Mm. it could be as you say it could be a uh, enterprise story where it's about people trying to improve their worth it could be performance story where characters are trying to get respect it could be a uh, domestic story in the sense they're trying to stay together it could be a buddy story. It could be about friendship. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it, that all of that could be uh, hidden behind what the story is really about, which is a maturation story, which is that thing you do. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's it's just one of those things. So this has so it, this has like a domestic drama element around it, and then a, and it's built on this maturation story. And of course, um, the daughter has her own maturation story. She has to make a choice in that mm. sense. Um, you get the sense that the parents are maturing as well. Because the dad had to grow up, the mother, so everyone has to kind of grow up, mm. and so. Uh, but it's a family story as well. So it's, it's nice. And the the thing is, these decisions that you make about what to see. Some people will say there's no such thing as genre. It's just a marketing ploy, etc. But this is why then they're wrong, because you want to do a story about autism. Look at the number of possible permutations, uh, avenues that you have to talk about autism, right? 
I mean, in the social drama, I there were, there were two completely diametric opposite views of an autistic social drama, right? And then from that, you've got all these other things, the maturation story, the domestic story, the love story, on and on and on it goes, all these different choices. And all these choices, all they're doing is they're saying what aspect of life you want to talk about. And that fundamentally is what genres are. The genres are, te- no story is about everything. And I mean, Atypical is, how many episodes? Eight? Eight. So it's about four, just over four hours long, mm-hmm. right? It's four hours. That's longer than any feature film. Yeah. This is not about everything. There's huge swaths of the autism discussion that aren't even being addressed. And in fact, I would be surprised if season two even dealt with them, right? Yeah. So it's you just make. It's not that kind of show, right? right? So you make. It's not that kind of show. Yeah. That's what genre is. So it's like, this is telling a story specifically about these elements of life. And so what genres do is they manage and satisfy audiences' expectations into what aspect of life you're going to talk about. And so when people say there's no such thing as genre, what they're really saying is, I don't want to be judged by any standard. Then they're cowards. Forget them. So this is what I'm saying. Like This is literally all this, all this stuff that we're talking about now all these decisions that are being made are genre choices. Do I focus on his ability to find love? Do I focus on his ability to mature? Do I focus on the uh, effects he has on his family? Do I focus on the uh, problems that autistic people find in society and how they're not treated compassionately? Do I focus on how people become autistic and I attack the pharmaceutical companies and blah, blah, blah? You know, these are all different choices. Any pharmaceutical listeners that forgave us after the first one have now stopped listening. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, so, um, but you know, it's like all these different possible choices, and every single one of them is has enough material, because you're talking about life, and life isn't something that can be just uh, exhausted in a in a in a single story, and so you have to specify, mm. and so that's what genre does, and so all these choices just come from genre considerations. The, the I I remember. I remember the particular Twitter argument you were talking about um, as soon as you mentioned it. Oh, the, that, yeah. The, the genre is uh, a marketing ploy. Yeah. But, it, it, yeah, but that's not even... That, that guy, that wasn't that guy's idea. That was... That's oh, that's something I've heard loads of times. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Moore thinks it. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But the way they... A lot of times it's it's built on... A, um, um, uh, it, most of the time, like, they, they just say it. And they don't mean genre the way that you would normally consider genre. Right. Okay. They basically to them, genre is things like sci-fi, action, fantasy, things like that. Uh, okay. But okay. they also at the same time consider drama different shades of drama. They just don't call them genres. Right. The avant-garde and so forth. They they don't call that. Those don't count as genres. Genres are specifically sci-fi. This 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 this. These things aren't They're genre. Presentational. Essentially, not even presentational. They haven't gone down, down to that level. It's it's just it's it's an utterly dismissive thing of certain types of stories, and it's a form of snobbery. Right. Um, okay. uh, because when it comes to stories, this is always, by the way, this is always the case with with genre criticism, mostly with people. Is um, it's it's just a form of snobbery. Uh, when it comes to stories they like, there are infinite shades of nuance. And when it comes to stories they don't like, it's pop culture trash, and you can just dump it in the bin. It's always the same thing. I re- I mean, I, I've read enough and studied enough. I'm like, when I, whenever I give these talks, the, my feeling is like, a reason I talk about this stuff is so that the writers feel um, 
like uh, that they're empowered to write stories they actually like as opposed to stories that they think other people will respect them for right which is just nonsense so yeah but the, you're going to say about this thing because like it's it's a thing that people say all the time you have made a counter argument far more eloquently um, uh, uh, and with more information than I could possibly say was the, was well, the, all I was going to do was say what about this but you oh it's fine I don't need to add to what oh, you just I see. Said. oh I see what you mean okay you yeah. oh, okay gotcha yeah, yeah, yeah. but I mean thing is that, that by the way that Twitter thing it, it's on my it doesn't matter the, what I was actually angry about was not his view but the way he treated somebody oh yeah yeah because the person he was arguing with was being very polite and is incredibly helpful uh, it's a guy you should follow him on Twitter Jesse Ham. Uh, he does. He's he's a great. He's he does all these wonderful, beautiful, practical tips for storytelling in comics, just in general. He's wonderful. And the guy, uh, a guy, had a go at him because he mentioned something about genre. And the guy said, "I hope no one takes any of your advice." And like the guy, Jesse Ham gives out so much advice on so many subjects. Just because you disagree on one subject doesn't mean you should throw everything else in the bin. Yeah. And he was very rude to him, and then he was very rude to me, so I blocked him. Um, I don't care. <laughs> uh, whatever. So uh, it's just he's just a, it's just incredibly rude. Like I don't mind this people disagreeing, but you don't have to be rude. So uh, in in that way. So anyway, but the, they're wrong. <laughs> Is my point? They're wrong. Uh, there's no point in like really dignifying it. Like I know their arguments, and their arguments just don't hold up. So doesn't work. So this because look, this is as I, I just, this is proof why. Look at all the choices that came from this subject matter and all those choices lead you com- down completely different genres and different combinations of genres mm. and that's not even getting into what you were no- talking about which is presentational considerations yeah. such as is it a comedy is it a drama a yeah. musical a musical whatever so this is a whole other thing right but uh, it's like the, the, que- the topic of genre is so complex but um, it's just which is why there'll be a book there will be a book um, but so uh, and for those of you on Storylog you can see the rudimentary elements of it can we just spend a minute because you mentioned something I thought it was really interesting on um, cast design and the number oh. of characters in that family okay yeah okay so this is actually this is great so here's the thing about we're talking about genre choices and how how important they are you decide to do a domestic drama which is what Atypical does I'm going to talk about family. Great. Okay. This this cast is a mother, a father, husband and wife, and then brother and sister. Four characters. And I asked you off mic, why do you think it's always four? Like, by and large, domestic dramas, they typically have four characters. And I came up with the exact correct answer. Did I not? I I think you, I think you kind of did. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I always come up with a correct answer. No, um, I came up with a typical Luke answer, which you an atypical Luke an answer. atypical Luke answer. I so said it wasn't that, a typical. I said Luke something answer. in a wafty. No, what, no, 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 no! Here's what you're really saying. Don't, don't, okay, don't insult yourself. What did you say? I can't remember. I said <laughs> it was wafty. I said it's not too many. It's not too little. Right. Okay. That, but it's true because. <laughs> It's true, though. It's true. Because, like, it's not too many, it's not, it's not too little. Advice over. There you exactly. go. You're welcome. But why listeners. is it not too many and not too little? Why is it a good number? And the, and the reason was because with those four characters, 
you have the most possible combination and combinations and dynamics that you can tell with the fewest number of characters. Yeah. So, for example, by having two parents, you can have parent scenes. You can have scenes and dynamics and storylines between the parents. You can then also have uh, mother, f- uh, daughter, mother, f- uh, sorry, mother, daughter, mother, son, uh, father, daughter, father, son, and then you've got brother and sister stories. You've got sibling stories. Yeah. Okay, and that's and that's in fact that's even if you ignore gender, you've basically got sibling stories and you've got parent stories and then you've got parent sibling stories Mm. and if you have one child you can't do sibling stories if you have one parent you can't do parent stories and so immediately you've lost an entire you you, you're going to exhaust your material a lot quicker so this is the minimum number required a third child doesn't do much for example say they have a brother well now you can have the brother brother scene but you've already ha- got the brother-sister scene. Mm. Now, obviously, the characters will be different. And obviously, you can have nuance, which is why a film like August, uh, August Osage County, it's a big domestic drama, it's a play, got Meryl Streep, Benedict uh, Crimplebatch, and Julia Roberts, and a huge cast. Bandicoot, Crumblypatch. Yeah, all of them. A great, magnificent cast, wonderfully done. Um, but this is a huge family. It's got um, grandmothers and granddaughter children, and it's got brothers and sisters and cousins, and then in-laws and so on, right? Huge cast. So it's not that you can't have a very big cast. It's that if you... It's, it's a question of just, like, economy. It's like once you've got those four, you've pretty much got every relationship you could want to tell in a family uh, in the sense of dynamics, mm. One, but it doesn't mean you've got every possible idea. It's just that you've got the the you've got the most number of um, qualitative dif- distinctions between mm-hmm. characters, and so that's why it's typically four. That's why it's typically four. Uh, if you look at Modern Family and stuff, right? They've got families, right? And th- what they've done is they've gone well. The great thing is, right? We've got three different families, so one can be a single child, and one, you know, two of yeah. them are single child. One of them is three kids. And so, do you know what I mean? So they've got this whole thing where, like, okay, each family can have a different setup dynamic, and through that we can discuss things because not one family. It's, good, it's a good point about modern family as well, isn't yeah. it? Because you've got you've got the gay couple, you've got the um, the male female married couple, you've got the May to uh, December relationship. What's May to December? Uh, old and young. Right. Yes. Sophia yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jay. So, but each family is different, and not one of them has to carry the whole show. Yeah. So they they there's a little more, bit more like woohoo we can do weird things. But if you look at stuff like, you know, typically shows that are about families, they generally have this kind of makeup, um, because it's as I said, it's the fewest number of characters, most and, number of combinations. And the point you made about the grandparent of. Mike as well is that if you want yeah. to bring that dynamic in one grandparent's enough yeah one's enough yeah they very you very rarely get both yeah you, because one will do all the work that you need it to you yeah. don't need to yeah. so they don't bother uh, or if they do one is always underwritten right right because you you don't you, it don't they don't generate the scene that you need them to that's mm. why it's just a matter of functionality uh, but obviously it's it's not uh, it's not there's you do what you want. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's a, you do what you want. It's just like if, but if you're like, I, I can sit, I can sit down and imagine like you're coming up with a family for a drama, and once you've hit two parents, two kids, every character you decide to invent becomes 
uh, like a lot of work for nowhere near as much gain as the second child or the second parent. Well, like what? The Simpsons has a baby, right? Maggie, but she, Maggie doesn't do anything really. She's, Maggie shot Mr. Burns, dude. It's true, she did. Um, it should have been Smithers. Uh, <laughs> but like you know, the Simpsons, like they'll have maybe you have a baby, a kid who's really young and on their own or whatever. But generally, um, what this you know what this illustrates is that point that um, has been made countless times by um, Robert McKee, uh, countless times I'm sure by by you on this podcast as well. Is that Really, in a story, you can do anything, but yeah. the question is why? Yeah. Why do you want to do it? And so if you're doing a family drama and you have this minimum number of characters, yeah. that is minimum. Okay, you want to add more characters in, sure, well, it's, why? It's Justify not, them, right? It's not even minimum, it's uh, because you could oh, take Oh, sorry, out, not minimum. You, but, you know, yeah, no, but, no, but it's interesting because you go the other way. You could take out a parent. Could, yeah. And then what does that mean? Well, it means you've lost all the possible parent-parent scenes you could have told. Yeah. And that's fine because maybe you want to focus on parent-child yeah. Or sibling relationships. And so by taking out the parent, you've cut out that avenue for you to explore. Yeah. It's totally fine. Uh it's just it's it's not um it's it's trying to is the whole point is like why is something that's very typical uh so always so common? Not mm. why uh must you do it? It's more why because the thing is like people have the same problems they have to solve again and again and again. So why do we use the same solutions again and again? So it's that's why it's like yeah. it's it's that because it it's the it's the most economic cast with the most options, but it doesn't mean that you can't get something up by reducing your options mm. or by being less economic. There's no, there's nothing. Okay, so yes, what do we learn from atypical? I, um, I guess that, I guess that the, I guess what you learn is like. Um, I don't know, you just, it's one of those things where it's like, there's a lot of options available and you make the ones that you, that help you do the story you want to tell. And once you start making choices, you cut off certain areas. And then there's nothing wrong with that because not every story can be about everything. Mm. Um, And so, and when you focus more and more, you become more specific you become more original and that allows you to do something that's quite enjoyable and memorable and atypical is a very sweet nice show uh it's got a lot of lovely characters in it um and all the characters are very nicely realized and well done it's a nice story um and part of that is because it doesn't sprawl around it keeps itself tight like the choice in characters, it's a very tight economical show. Yeah, right? I think so. And eight right. episodes anyway. Cool. Yeah. Done. Yeah, we're done. Fantastic. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>